Welcome everybody to Beat the Shift Baseball. This is episode 55 for Tuesday, July 9th. I'm Alex Uwe, here today with Alex Rudy. How you doing, man? Fantastic. How about yourself? I'm doing I'm doing very well. This is a, a very welcome all-star break this year. Um, not that we haven't already been on a, a very long break ourselves, but um, the first half is already done. I can't I can't believe it. That felt really fast to me anyway. Did it feel fast to you? Lightning speed. Lightning speed. Yeah, so we're going to talk, of course, just about the first half of the season. Uh, it'll just be, you know, a normal show where we banter about everything, anything and everything that we can. Um, so, yeah, uh, we'll talk about the Home Run Derby. We'll talk about um, the Lucroy collision that just happened the other day. We'll talk about the Juiced Ball. We'll talk about um, other all-star shenanigans going on. And, of course, go over some of the, the biggest first-half storylines, you know, both positive and uh, disappointing. So we will we will get to all of that in this show. Let's start with the Home Run Derby, though, which just happened uh, tonight as of when we're recording this. Pete Alonzo is the Home Run Derby champ, which is maybe not so surprising to some uh, if you looked at the, the field of Home Run Derby contestants this year but he beat vladimir guerrero jr who absolutely stole the show uh he hit 91 home runs in his performance uh and he lost in the finals of course to alonzo but in the semi-final round uh, against jock peterson it was the probably one of the best home run derby spectacles uh of all time so that was just a treat to watch he hit 91 home runs throughout the course of the night and Alonzo, who won it, hit 57. So maybe a little correcting needed in uh, in the format. What did you think of the Derby? Did you get to watch any of it? Very briefly, I watched um, a small portion of, I think, the semifinals. Um, but there was no sound, so it was kind of difficult to comprehend what exactly was occurring. But I did understand I was witnessing history. It just had that beautiful sensation <laughs> um, and I did just some of the highlights, um, mostly Vlad Jr. based. Um, what I really love um, more than anything is that, that he just seems like a great guy. And I kind of like that. You know, there's some great camaraderie shown. I think the Home Run Derby often does have that. And I think um, it really brings you back into, you know, this is really a game at the end of the day. And it kind of, you know... I feel like the home run derby is when it most feels like what it feels like, you know, just playing ball with your friends and, um, you know, it's really the most kind of innocent and pure version of the, of, you know, the professional sport at times, not to get too, um, you know, overbearing and monotony, monotonous and stuff. But yeah, um, great event, great for baseball, something I think they really needed. And we can talk about the juice ball potentially later. Uh yeah, I mean that's it's been a big storyline around this All Star break because you know Verlander's been talking about it again as he has in the past and people are still up in arms. Um, but basically to to recap just a few big things, big takeaways from the Home Run Derby. Uh, like I mentioned, the format could probably use a little tweaking. Um, these uh these players nowadays, juice ball or not, are uh, are pretty strong and they they hit a lot of home runs. You know, say what you will about that the the fact that they were able to do it for as long as they did like the 
the amount of time, the amount of energy it takes to do that is just insane. And um, also, the I, <laughs> something that was going on the entire night was the the pace at which they were being hit. Uh, the the pitches were being thrown at a pace that was kind of ridiculous that ESPN couldn't even keep up with uh with the camera you know they like to follow the home run balls but they were throwing the the next pitch so fast um that every single ball sailing out the camera had to keep cutting away it must not be easy work for a cameraman in the home run derby and uh, I imagine it's probably done for safety reasons as well to make sure you know the people shagging the people in the stands actually um are able to see the ball land and then be able to pay attention to the next ball hit. Um, so there's definitely good reasons for taking your time with pitching to the hitters, but it was definitely very fast and very fun to watch the, uh, to watch the hitters just continually swinging and hitting balls out. So that was, uh, something that I was also commented on. It is funny cause you know, all the, all the fans who are all, grumpy like to complain about like last year they were complaining about Bryce Harper's dad pitching too fast and cheating and he shouldn't have won and like come on like you're gonna you're gonna spoil that and at least this year everybody was doing it so uh nobody could complain um yeah I think that's good for the the home run derby though let's uh let's continue on then and talk about uh what Verlander wants to talk about all the time and that's the baseballs, because they are different. We know that much, but people seem to have a very big problem with it for reasons that seem, I don't, I don't know, not, not contradictory to what I would expect, you know, the trend to the way people would want to see the game progress, but maybe, maybe that's just me. It's definitely it's definitely a very split issue. Um, so no matter what side you take on whether or not it's a good thing that um, you know, the baseballs are traveling further, um, then you know you can have a perspective on it that's not necessarily wrong. But for the sake of argument, I'm I'm gonna kind of take you on on that because you you're not a juiced ball proponent, right? If I'm correct. I think I have two kind of opinions on it not to divide this even further so my sport management business perspective is definitely pro juice ball um but not strongly which kind of goes back to my deeper rude fan opinion i have a pretty complicated rant and i don't want to waste too much time saying it so i'll try to be concise but i think one, just from a basic baseball nerd perspective, I think it kind of does mess with the integrity of the statistics a certain amount, which I don't want to overreact to that too much because, you know, there's been the mound, I think, low, well, lowered, correct, at times, and, you know, stadium dimensions are different, which no one really ever talks about, and there's all kinds of factors. It's not like the ball is the same ball used in 1876 anyway, so... That might be a bit of a ridiculous motion, but I think it has some point. Um, I think, too, I just don't like how they're not open about it to a certain extent. I feel like they don't really want to fully admit that they changed it as much as they did, which I don't really understand that. I mean, it's not such a 
it's just the way they're handling it to me is just strange and it kind of goes into the whole the whole way baseball the baseball league office operates in so many ways is always never been particularly transparent it's always been opaque since um uh bud selig basically took over um as a former owner and um this is really part of all their attempts to change the game to become more popular, I guess, or stop losing popularity so fast. That, in my opinion, always been done in a particularly opaque manner. And then finally, I don't think it. I think it's just it's it's a, a backwards way to fix the problem. I don't think the people who aren't watching baseball or who are stopping being baseball fans or whatever care about more home runs or not. I think that's a backwards way to fix this issue they have. I don't think that people, I, I, you know, I work in, I'm not saying I know everything because I work in sports, but, you know, we, I work in sports, me and you both know plenty of people who follow sports. We're not, you know, you play baseball at a competitive level. We're, we're immersed. Not, we're immersed in the, I mean, in the world. We're surrounded by, we're pretty immersed in sports culture, I would say, in sports fandom culture from not just like, oh, we're fans, but I think in a, also like we kind of observe it as part of this podcast. And I don't think people care, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I really have not gotten the impression that anyone who didn't already follow baseball pretty seriously cares about this home run surge. And that's why I think at the end of the day, it's I don't agree with it, because the issue is not offense. The issue is way more deeply grounded into the whole nature of the game. That's a whole different conversation. Yes. Have. And I'll stop ranting in one second. But I don't, to me, I'm, I don't like the way that the MLB office for an office, no, sorry, the MLB league office handles these problems. I strongly think is it, it to me, it's an old man sitting on his lawn, you know, coming up with these solutions. And I get why. Lastly, sorry, and then I'll go back to you. I get why a guy like Verlander is pissed. I really get that. It's not fair to someone for to a pitcher to a certain extent. Um, so yeah. You're right in, in, about the the lack of transparency, which is frustrating anywhere. Baseball, otherwise, work life, and just talking to people. Yeah, we want transparency, and we definitely haven't had that. It's very puzzling the kind of approach they've taken. I think Manfred honestly probably just dug himself into a hole um, and is trying to work his way out of it now in in denying changing the ball but now it's undeniable so he's trying to fix things what and that's not even the main point of this argument i think the argument is more about the quality of play on the field you can argue about the the politics and the administrative um reasoning and management of the whole situation but i but i just want to get back to the core of the argument which is do you think it's more do you think it's better or worse that baseballs when they're hit are being hit harder and a lot further because of the changes to the ball and personally i love it i love home runs and i am you know a very very invested baseball fan you know maybe not for as long as somebody in their in their 40s and 50s who's been rooting for this game before the steroid era even but I, I love the Im- increased offense, you know, as, as somebody who watches this game and it, it's not, there's nothing taken away from increased offense. I understand players like Verlander not liking it because he's been around for a long time and he's accustomed to a certain standard, a certain, you know, type of uh, 
environment, a certain type of uh, player environment, right? And that's completely changed in the last few years. And he's adjusted very well, you know, and a lot of pitchers haven't. And now in AAA, it's it's harder too because they've started using the same uh, major league caliber baseballs. And you see the effects of it, and it's it's bad for individuals, and it's great for others. Um, that's going to happen. The game is dynamic. Like you said, it's been changing constantly for hundred for a hundred plus years now. I just, I just don't understand the argument that people don't like home runs or like they, they, they want to see more small ball, like balls in play. Like, okay. I don't, I can't imagine that they're in the minor in the majority though, of people who just want to see more balls in play and, and yeah, I, I, I just, I just don't, don't understand care either way. The perspective. I, the, no, people no, care. I will. No, I will definitely tell you that people care, especially no, the people who uh, who take I to the internet on these maps. No, okay, but there's no evidence from like a ratings attendance perspective that the home runs are helping. There's no evidence that non-baseball fans care more than they did yeah, before. But it's even if it is just something they're trying. Fine, so be it. I think home runs are pretty objectively fun. No, people loved the home run derby today, right? And and some people, I, I can't imagine there's a lot of people, but some people, you know, will just tune in for the home run derby and don't care about anything else because home runs are fun. Yeah, that's, a, that's a unique niche fan right there. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, that, that that's not, you know, the, the point that I'm making is, though, that nobody sees home runs and thinks the game is worse because of them right like home runs are great i think some people do think that oh and that's that's what i don't understand but i i can't i can't understand it it's okay um but that's kind of both sides of it maybe um even though you kind of countered your own points in ways that i was going to yourself so it shows that you're like you're on top of both sides of the argument which is good in either case in what um, way can you recap it? Because I'm kind of confusing myself, honestly. <laughs> um, mostly just in the, I forget which point it was that you were making about, um, it was something something to do with the the, the statistical uh, changes and yeah. The, uh, well, the, well, I was the... saying that if you're gonna argue that the statistical the the, the yeah the ball is messing with statistics yeah but uh, but you, you but so many but things you pointed out that so many other things affect yeah. it over time mm-hmm. yeah okay yeah we're, we're good i think we've we've covered what we wanted to say uh, of course but if can, you have can strong... I say one more thing about it sorry because i do love this topic okay it is like the ultimate baseball argument to a certain extent is it not Small i mean ball versus arguing about home run ball two millimeters on a baseball right like it's it is like the i mean bill james must love this thing i gotta tell you or hate it, but he feels strongly. He, about he it. feels. Everybody seems to feel strongly about it, and I just don't. You yeah. know, like I it's like true. baseball. The base, the what exactly the ball looks like and reacts like is arbitrary to me. I think you know? that's the healthy attitude. So I'm with you on that. I commend that. All right, great. Um, if you have very strong feelings about it that you want to express to us and you want to call us morons for our opinions, then you can go ahead and do that on our social media on Twitter or Instagram at beat the shift BP. Um, thought I'd throw that in there in the middle. That's different, huh? I liked uh, it. Yeah. Um, so wrapping up the, the all-star game, this the all-star game is tomorrow, of course, and 
you know, there's been tons of replacements, so I'm not going to name them all, but lots of deserving all-stars. We're pretty close to, uh, by this point, to not having any snubs, uh, with the exception of uh, probably Tatis is the biggest snub, right, at this point? Is there any? Are there any snubs that I'm missing? Did he miss, we... Can I ask a question? Did he has he played enough games to be a clear snub? He's put up very impressive numbers in even his. I think he missed out over a month of time, and That's his cu- accum- accumulated stats warrant an all-star appearance. That's how good he's been. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's fair. Um, yes, but the All-Star game is tomorrow, and that's always fun. Uh, I don't, you know, it it doesn't count for advantages anymore in the playoffs, so just as it should be. Um, yeah. So let's. Oh, so another thing about kind of old school oh, wait, versus you know new school mentality. Sorry. Um, what what was this? You, real quick. Do you think? Sorry, one last thing on the home run derby. I just remembered. My sorry to interrupt you. Do you think the one million dollars mattered at all? I just remembered that. Um, Any no. Impact? I mean, it's still a million dollars. I, I I don't think they're having trouble getting like high quality contestants. This was an incredibly fun home run yeah. derby with probably the strongest guys in the game that you could find. There's maybe a few other can uh, candidates out there that didn't appear which you know mm-hmm. you'll get over when you still see the show that was kind of put on um i know a lot of people are upset about not seeing either of the the big padres sluggers in there um like renfro or Fran Mill or um joey gallo was injured and he didn't want to uh to push it and um and, and for the home run derby so that's you know another reason whatever i i think the, the quality of of talent was fine and I don't Great. think the million dollars would have changed that. I think everybody that did it would have done it either way. Um, I was going to talk about Jonathan Lucroy in a home plate collision. And yeah. for some everything nowadays is just divisive and controversial. But is there anything controversial about the the impact of of that play i mean all the the rule changes that needed to be made have already been made at this point there's not a whole lot to do with that it used to be a very common play for a player to ram into the catcher full force Mm -hmm. and jake mersnick admittedly felt awful about it he messed up he explained that he was attempting to go for a slide on the inside part a head first slide on the inside part of the bag and stumbled and got caught in between and just ended up barreling right into Lucroy's face um and he felt awful about it like nobody wants this in the game nobody nobody in the game wants this back in the game but there's still holdouts saying you know this is that's just part of the game there's people out there that are talking about like this is you know it's part of the game and that's whatever that that still cling to the the old ways the the, uh the ancient ways i I, you could say at this point um but if anything this is the, the clearest possible example of why it's great that collisions are no longer in the game. Um, so hopefully Lucroy will end up being okay. He's tested for concussions and has a broken nose, so he'll miss some time for sure. Do you think any chance it was intentional in the sense, not obviously to destroy him, but to run him over? No, Marisnik was very um, transparent about his thought process and in his reaction and his like everything that happened with it and he expressed his apologies like very profusely on social media like immediately following the game you could tell in the moment that he was very distraught um it's it's nothing to do with 
intentional it's i think it is kind of a case uh, this is probably the topic that i've talked about more than any other in in this sport is the chase utley slide right chase utley i'm sure is not, is not a malicious person he made a dirty he made a bad slide that it was a dirty slide right and ended up you know breaking ruben tata's leg and he missed the rest of the playoffs whatever and it's not to say that chase utley is a malicious person he was trying to do that it it was kind of a combination of over aggressiveness and indecisiveness and just lack of execution and you should be i mean mersnick was called out for it of course like you know as he should be but um yeah it's the same kind of thing like i, I never blame the players in these situations especially recently i i'm sure pete rose definitely looked to end some careers in his time you know but it's it's different now um yeah so did you have anything else to say or can we can we move past the lucroy business forward onward i think we'll talk about first half storylines now and kind of backtrack on uh on and just take a look back and uh and appreciate what we've what we've seen this season so far um you know i i wanted i thought it would be a good idea to maybe look back into past years and look at what first half storylines looked like then and you know some of them are kind of the same mike trout is is god and that it's a Mm storyline every year he's continually getting better um so that's a nice familiar thing uh the nationals underperforming seems to be a trend that i've seen in in recent years at the all-star break and sometimes they've been able to turn it around and sometimes they haven't um you know things like that some some stuff is definitely consistent but there's probably some unique ones this year um Big rookie performances are always talked about at the All-Star break, of course. Um, so let's just talk about some of our, our favorite things, like the, the big positive surprises that we've enjoyed. Um, I want to start by mentioning Shohei Otani, who was definitely the biggest storyline of last season, uh, arguably throughout the entirety of the season. Generational two-way talent, and now is just a one-way talent. So how much how much talent does he have to carry in just one aspect of his game? Apparently enough to be like the best DH this year. Um, so far in baseball, he's, he's just been killing the ball. I think he got off to a little bit of a slow start right when he came back. Um, didn't come back until May missed all of spring training and stuff. Cause he's recovering from Tommy John surgery and has just been tearing the cover off the ball since has 14 homers and 53 games. Uh, batting average is over 300, and he's slugging like 570. It's ridiculous. So um, Otani hitter is definitely one of still the best storylines. And uh, you posed an interesting question to me earlier is why would the Angels have to consider just using him as a full-time hitter, as maybe make him a position player, um, and just kind of put the pitching thing on on hold indefinitely because Otani's such a good hitter? Or um, is he's going to be back to being that that full-on two-way player in the same way that we saw last year um so what what are your thoughts on that like if you just had to pick if you were the manager and you just had to make the call right now like forever 
Um, if like if you were managing Otani and next year came around and you're like, hmm, should I have him be a two way player and pitch every fifth day and have him DH one or two days in the middle there, or do I want him to just hit, be in my lineup every day? Maybe stick him in right field or wherever. If I was any other, yeah, answer your question. Um, if I wish we didn't talk about it before because you kind of convinced me a different direction that I play with already gone. So, I mean, I think you convinced me to make him back into a pitcher, but I definitely, or, you know, let him pitch again next year, but I definitely probably before we talked about it, I would have said, leave him as a hitter, cut your losses, uh, try to just maintain his health, make him an outfielder. Um, I do think, though, who knows? I mean, you brought up a good point. Is outfield really less injury risk? I mean, it's it's a really good point. I don't know. That's just a perception, I guess. Um, I do think the Angels, unfortunately, though, especially because of the recent tragedy, um, do have a specific need at pitcher that kind of makes the situation more demanding um, for him to pitch again for them than maybe another team might. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I kind of wish that I had, I had waited. I, I would have loved to have some some documented evidence of my persuasive skills in on the matter. But um, yeah, I mean, starting high, high caliber starting pitching is still probably the hardest thing to find anywhere. And Otani has that when he comes back. And I I mentioned too that a great this is the fallback scenario for Otani. If he gets injured pitching, then what happens to him? Well, apparently he's still just is a top tier hitter. So then you still have that to fall back on. Um, not bad options there. Let's talk about um, the rookie performances. I mentioned Tatis already being an all-star snub who I genuinely believe will be the best player in baseball in the next few years with Mike Trout still in the league. I know it's um, crazy talk to suggest that anybody other than Mike Trout could hold that title. But I think he can get there. And then you got Pete Alonso, 30 home runs at the break, ties Aaron Judge's rookie record, I believe. And um, the guy who went very under the radar in the rookie spectrum this year was Brian Reynolds for the Pirates, who was, you know, he's not a highly touted prospect at all, but has just been has just been firing on all cylinders the entire time he's been up for the Padres and playing regular, or the Padres, the Pirates. Um, and it's been really fun to watch. Um, I, I wish more people knew about him because hardly anybody that's not a Pirates fan would ever see him play. And he's not really very well talked about. But he's hitting 342 this year, the 950 OPS. And he's a rookie. And that's just... If any other rookie were doing this, you would look at that and say that's the rookie of the year. But there's just been so much competition just in the National League alone um, that he's he might not even crack the top three at at this point if the season ended today with with Chris Paddock the way he's been. Um, so yeah, it's it's crazy, crazy rookies this year. Any other notable um, rookies that you wanted to mention or other thoughts on on these insane first half performances? Um, I think, yes, 
I do. <laughs> I feel like, well, I don't. Is it? I have a larger opinion on it, but I don't want to get too tangential. But I do mm-hmm. think I'll just say it really quickly. We don't have to have a big discussion about it. Um, of course, I'm spending more time pre- leading up to it than actually to say. I do think, you know, with these people, like you just mentioned, like Austin Riley. I didn't uh, even mention him. I and mean, that's uh, that's how ridiculous this class has been. Thank you. Um, like, like, not to just name Braves, but like Sor- Soroka, is that how he's pronounced? Uh, Mike Soroka, Sor- yeah. Is he? I don't know if he's uh, rookie eligible. He's not really a rookie, but he's basically a rookie now. Yeah, I don't think he's a rookie this year. Almost a rookie. I could be wrong. He's 21 years old, which is ridiculous. Okay. Close enough. Um, no, he's definitely a rookie. He didn't pitch in 2018. Okay. Um, no, he did. I was wrong. Okay. But he only but threw five games. Won. I don't. Well, know. my point, my point is still relevant. But my all I'm just trying to say quickly is that it's amazing. There's this trend of all these guys peaking, or not necessarily peaking, but being so good so quickly, so right away, so young, that two things one you've got like josh bell who take a couple of years to really hit their point and i think a lot of people give up on them really quick because they're so used to this instant gratification mm-hmm. but excuse me too there's just so many larger ramifications on a magnitude on a larger level whether it's free agency or just team building strategy all these things i do think maybe for future pod- podcasts we can have a larger discussion on just how good these guys are so quickly because it, it's pretty much, I think, unprecedented in baseball. It is. It's it's almost entirely to do with player development, which is one of the most fascinating things to be in the advancements in that. Um, I really want to get around to reading um, Ben Lindbergh and who was, who do you write? I think Travis Sochik wrote um, a book on player development called the MVP machine. And I really wanted to read it and haven't gotten around to it yet, but I'm sure once I do read it, then I'm going to even talk about it more than I have been already. So really exciting things from young players and the game's just getting younger all over the place, you know, for, for all kinds of reasons that we've talked about in other shows. Um, and you know, the way the current CBA is and free agency and, um, there's every reason to, to play young players every day, all the time. Tatis Jr. started the season in in the majors and has not blinked, it seems, which is awesome. It's exactly what you want for the game. Um, okay, what else are we talking about? We're talking about um, super teams that were coming into the season. The Dodgers, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Astros. That was probably the four that were the solidified super teams you can probably cross the red Sox off that list for this season just due to their performance and the other three have been just super impressive and dealt with so many injuries which i feel like is very underrated um just very like not just a few injuries the yankees um you know had dealt with i think at one point they had the most war on the injured list from most previous season one on the injured list of any team ever. And it was by like a, a huge margin. It was by like almost 10 more. And the Astros were missing pretty much every piece of their infield at some point throughout the season. And the Dodgers too have kind of been cycling in and out. They don't have Corey Seager right now. Um, it's, it's crazy how these teams are so deep that they're able to put up the kinds of records that they have and still deal with all those injuries. What what do you think about that? Yes. Yes, agreed. 
Um, well, I think it goes back one to the player development thing we just talked about. Um, you have all these guys. Um, I mean, you could literally could go on. I mean, not. To, I mean, obviously, I'm a Yankees fan, so those are like the easiest examples. Hey, me too. To me, for me, to list <laughs> right off the bat. But I mean, you, you have guys like. Whether it's un- and both teams are doing this, so please give me Houston examples that I'm missing. But you have guys like Urshela um, and Avoid who are traded for nothing basically, and um, you know they develop them into guys where they sh- had shown the you know they shown the flashes in the minors, but whatever reason teams had not expected them to transfer to the major leagues. And not every guy that works with. I mean, talk. Talkman, who's I mean, he's 28, so he's not young, but he was a minor league beast who, and you know, that hasn't necessarily carried over with right away either. But or you have guys like LeMay who you're signing super under undervalued. I think we both loved. I know I loved. But I think you did too. We loved that sign at the time. Mm-hmm. A lot of people thought it was poor because they just said, "Oh, he's a highish average, low power guy at cores. That's not going to transfer over." I think a lot of people were just looking, wanted, were looking for reasons that was a bad signing when, instead of looking for the reasons why it was a good one. Um, he's obviously going to cool down, but... Best major league hitter of all time in London. Yeah. Or you have Domingo Herman, another trade throw-in, and he was hurt for a while, but, you know, be reaching heights that I don't think anyone expected him um, to be able to. Um, Cameron Maybin, even before he got hurt, I know, you know, He's not. It's just he's making these little moves. I think is what separates you from the, the separates the men, and the boys, really. And I think Houston and the Yankees, going back once again to the player development, they've done such a good job with their farm systems, using their investment in signing international talent, especially that um, they can re- continuously just recycle their farm systems. Um, keep replenish, their top, replenish. Replenish. That's a better term. Thank you. Keep generally their top top guys. But um, the peripheral prospects continuously trade in and out to both, excuse me, get win-now talent while also getting guys to put back in. Yeah, absolutely. And to maybe alleviate some of the the Yankee heaviness here, just to give other examples from the Astros and the Dodge, I think we're down to those three as the super teams to this point. Um, And you can say the Red Sox are still there, whatever. They've been underperforming. the the Astros of course do that with their pitchers notoriously in the last few years Charlie Morton out of nowhere Garrett Cole became an ace after being a struggling Pirates product um, those are probably the biggest ones in the last couple of years of course like they saw you know Jose Altuve when nobody else did there's there's so many cases like this they they fill in the gaps very well too with smaller you know acquisitions um, you know like Josh Reddick, you know, whatever, guys like that. And then the Dodgers do the same thing. Chris Taylor, out of nowhere, is just crazy productive. And they're versatile, too, which is something that is unique, to say the least. Max Muncy, of course, in the last year. Um, pretty much all their pitchers, basically any lefty they can find, they turn into a Kershaw-esque ace for at least part of the season. Um, and that's just kind of how they do it. That's how all the teams do it. They they continually search for new talent, even when they can field a team on paper that looks very good. Um, and that's you know we've talked about it before, so this is nothing new for those teams. 
So let me ask you one last question before we move on. Mm-hmm. Do we think they made an agreement with Ellsbury that to stay away from the team and we'll pay you and you don't have to officially retire? I legitimately think he's in some sort of, like, I don't know if you've ever seen, like, those Scandinavian prisons, like, in Norway, where they they look like just beautiful, you know, kind of low-end hotel or resort areas or apartment complexes where they have basically everything available to them. There's, There's, you know, like parks and um you know they have a fully furnished and nice apartment and get to live on their own you know it's, it's a nice place but it is still a prison and i think they've probably got ellsbury in some sort of compound like that if i were to guess with no access to social media which i'm sure he is still on social media maybe they just like fabricate all all evidence of his existence it's it's possible we can get into some really deep cuts here about um ellsbury's existence but um, maybe not right now. Um, and I think it would be very short-sighted to not mention the NL Central division race to this point in the season, which has been everything that we've expected it to be. Um, so I guess that's not so much a first-half surprise, but um, really just crazy how close all these teams are. The first place Cubs are 47 and 43. The last place Reds are 41 and 46. Just five games under 500. And everyone in between is right around at the same point. Um, all of them within striking distance, of course. There's still a lot of baseball left to play. So that's probably the best division to watch at this point if you want to go top to bottom. Um, other great division races, of course, at this point, too, not to, to discount those, but. You know that's that's gonna be fun one man. Like there's, so, nobody's clearly gonna run away with this for sure. Who are you taking? Who am I taking? Who did I even take preseason? I think I had the Brewers missing the playoffs, which I think is unlikely because they have Christian okay. Yelich who hits Thank home runs every day. I give you a reason why they could. Why they could make it or miss it? Why they could miss, miss it. Um, sure. They have a negative 17 run differential to the Reds, plus 27 for context. That is impressive, but you can um, attribute that to a very strong bullpen, which they had last year and have again this year, Mm. and not so good starting pitching. So Mm. that's kind of the symptom of that that you'd expect is very... I guess unflattering run differential. I guess seventeen in almost a hundred games is really not very much, is it? No, it's but it's not what you'd expect from a. They're holding a wild card spot right now, so you know. It's you'd expect a playoff team to have positive run differential for sure, um, but you know it, it's all these teams. The Pirates have done things very very well. The Josh Bell is of course just been absurd. I don't I don't think people have really appreciated the Josh Bell absurdity quite enough. He has 84 runs batted in at the All-Star break. That's absurd. 84 runs at the All-Star break is is a season's is a solid season's worth of If I told you that Josh Bell were to drive in 84 runs this season, you would be like, "Wow, that's a that's a very good season for him. Like he definitely had a good season." Uh yeah, he he's there. Um and I I did want to mention this really quickly because I've talked about it so many times last year that the American League was far superior to the National League. 
in terms of individual player performances, all the best players were in the American League. And this year, it somehow just completely flipped. And I have no idea how that happened. Um, Like, all the best players so far this season are in the National League, which is just baffling to me. You know, in the National League this year, you've got guys like Bellinger and Yelich and Josh Bell. Like I said, uh, Freddie Freeman's having his best season, which is hard for a guy like Freddie Freeman considering how good a career he's had. Uh, Anthony Rendon also is just having a tremendous year. And other than Mike Trout, like they're like all of those guys are better than whoever the second best player in the American League is probably. So um, very weird turnaround from season to season. I'm, I'm very curious about that. And the same goes with the rookies too. The NL rookies have just been unbelievable. Like I've talked about so many times already. Um, but let's talk about, let's end on a disappointing note, as we always do, and talk about the biggest disappointments of the season. Um, Jose Ramirez has to be talked about. Miss, missing out on his hometown All-Star game there in Cleveland, and like completely deserved. I have no idea how a player who is so dominant one year can, can have such a, a sharp downfall the next year. It it really isn't anything that you can point to and be like, oh, he's he completely is doing this differently, or last season he did this and that was a complete fluke. It's it's just strange because his stat cast data, like his batted ball profile, hasn't been like absurdly different than last year. Like he's I, I don't I don't even know. There's not one thing to point to. So I can't even analyze it. I, all I can do is just sulk about it, right? I mean, I don't know. Do you have thoughts on how players like Jose, Jose Ramirez and Paul Goldschmidt even can just have really cold stretches like this with I mean, very little explanation? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, um, no, no, I, I was asking you. Age a little bit, you could – I know it's like not a great reason – but there's at least something there. I mean, he was going to decline eventually. Some guys just decline. Uh, Ramirez is fascinating. I know um, – the. why am I not thinking of the name? What's the podcast you just mentioned? Like Effectively Wild? Yeah. I guess you <laughs> mentioned it tonight, but we always talk. What, um, had a whole podcast about Jose Ramirez. Um, and – they both basically agree that he will be better the rest of the season. He has to be. Uh, I think the ISO power right away is the most obvious reason to believe that. Um, it, but here's the real issue is that the fact of the matter is in 2015, 2016, um, 2015 he, 2016 he did hit for average really well, but his uh, Babbitt was quite excellent. 2015, so 2014, 20. Going back to the minors. Okay, but he, he was a wee little baby. He was like in his early twenties. He wasn't a power hitter though at all, and so I mean, you basically—it's a little bit of juice ball syndrome, I guess, supposedly. But um, I, uh, there's a chance he's a guy who just has two good years and then isn't actually that good. That happens too, and not everything—two, three good years, I guess, but two amazing years and one MVP caliber year. I mean. I then sometimes there really isn't an explanation. He could just be a guy who was hot and then got figured out and couldn't get it adjust. And I'm not saying that's likely. I don't think that is 
what it is. Um, but it's possible, I think. I don't think it should just be left out as, you know, necessarily incorrect. I mean, I think he's definitely getting really unlucky with the home run to fly balls. The That ratio's down unbelievably. That, that seems... I mean, his batting average balls in play is pretty absurdly low. But he could also just be sucking and sucking now. Those also could mean that, too. Well, uh, yes. I mean, every... So, you know, this is kind of common knowledge that everybody, no matter how good you are as a major league player, goes through hot streaks and cold streaks, right? And you look at a guy like Mike Trout, what makes him so good is that even when he's on a cold streak, he's not yeah. crushing the ball, right? He still somehow gets on base tw- at least twice a game, it seems like. He, he has just good enough plate discipline to do that. And he still maintains, like, decent batting peripherals even when he's not he's not feeling he's not feeling good it's a very it's a it's a feel thing you find it and you lose it and there's no explanation for it it's a number of variables but when you look at but i will say when you look at a sample size of it was at least two and a half arguably three years of jose ramirez being a very good hitter that's that's long enough of a sample size where you can look at you can clearly see the defined ups and downs of a season and say he's done something different to figured to have figured out how to how to have a successful major league season and it's not it can't be fluky for that long it it would be a, the most absurd stroke of luck for a major league hitter to sustain a hot streak for that amount of time you can look at a guy like Lourdes Gurriel Jr recently right earlier this season couldn't hit the ball for his life they sent him down to the minor leagues he had to work in his defense too he couldn't throw a ball from second base for some reason comes back as an outfielder and goes on one of the most ridiculous hot streaks of the first half i'm giving him a shout out there too because he's absolutely earned it but you you know you've seen enough of laudis guriel jr to kind of know when he's hot he he's hot he can really torch the ball and that's a big thing too players who can take advantage of when they feel good and, and hit for a lot of power and do a lot of damage that's a it's a good indicator of a good player. Even even if you're streaky, you're a very good player. Um, but nobody expects him to continue that because we haven't seen that click over a long, a sustained amount of time. That's like he can stabilize. He can he can make it through the cold streaks without you know hitting sub two hundred and being um, Orioles Chris Davis esque. You know, um, it's that's that's the real thing that. You know, as I, I play tons of fantasy baseball, but even I mean, this is what about like people who evaluate baseball players look at is how how they're able to to stabilize and reset through, and get through cold streaks and find you know and stick it out long enough to until they get back their rhythm, and it just hasn't happened this year for Jose Ramirez. I I can't explain why. It's it's inexplicable. Paul Goldschmidt is a similar case. This year he's been striking out a lot more and part of that might have to do with his age you know you you do lose a you do lose a step you do lose a little bit of bat speed there but last year he did the same thing he scared us for only two months granted by being absolutely atrocious and striking out a ton and then he went on to have like a thousand plus ops the rest of the season and part of you still thinks that it could just happen at any point in time joey Votto also who i didn't write in our, our notes but is kind of the same way he's old he doesn't have the same dynamic bat speed that he used to but how can you go from being one of the best professional hitters in baseball to 
going up to the plate and not looking like you know like like you've never seen a baseball before because Joey Votto looked like that for stretches of the season where he's he doesn't even know if he's going to swing or not on on every single swing even after he takes it he's like did I just swing at that it's it's one of the most baffling things I've ever seen with these guys that are struggling here um and you can only hope that they can turn it around in the second half and redeem themselves at least a little bit but that is the the thought process behind the the cold streaks there you know it's you can't explain why it happens but it's it's unusual for them to to not be able to bust out of it as good hitters as they are um that's all i wanted to talk about with the disappointing players i'm sure there's more to name but whatever you know um i think we should um we should finish by talking about how disappointing the mets have been because we started off the show by talking about how uh, great pete alonzo has been and winning the home run derby and all that and i think we need to take the mets fans back down a peg and remind them that they're 40 and 50 after having a monstrous offseason of acquisitions and really have done nothing with it and i know you uh you are not you are not happy with another new york team in orange and blue as well so just seeing this one going through struggles of their own as they seem to always find themselves in um it's very it hits it hits very hard for you i'm sure yeah, I don't care about how the Mets' success. I do feel bad for my uncle and my cousin, though. The New York Rangers hockey team just had an amazing offseason, and they're huge fans of them, so I can't feel too bad. Um, I think, you know, I, I, I know I really do uh, mean this. When you hire a GM named Brody that every beat writer says is trash, what do you expect? I mean, the Mets are a joke of an organization. They got lucky because they had Sandy Alderson. Sandy, not uh, and what's his name? Sandy. I think you had it. Alderson. Is, is Sandy Alderson? Okay, I'm gonna screw myself up with names. I mean, they're lucky that they were one of the best GMs in history. I mean, I don't know if people really think of him that way. In my opinion, he probably is in a lot of ways. Um, and they were great briefly when it all came together. They kind of masked the stink. That's been over the franchise, um, you know, since they've been owned by the Wilpons, who are just incompetent owners in so many ways from a managerial standpoint. And um, that's how you get a team with the 10th highest payroll in baseball, and that's essentially give or take $6 million, which is meaningless, is a top, almost a top five. Uh, payroll that's going to clearly miss the playoffs after a huge offseason that still has uh, how many all-stars did three all-stars two all-stars they had Pete Alonzo Jeff McNeil and Jacob deGrom yeah three all-stars and they're not going to even come close to making the playoffs that's pretty unbelievable and I mean two of those those are all two of those guys are quite young they still have Comforto they have Rosario, who is a competent shortstop, I would assume. He's not anything special. They still have Robinson Chino. I guess he sucks. But you have Wilson Ramos, one of the better offensive catchers in the league. Why they have Todd Frazier, I don't know. That one is indefensible. Um, Somehow has been one of their more productive hitters this year. Brandon Inmo <laughs> hit again. That maybe is not the most surprising thing. And then this, this just gets hilarious. Carlos Gomez... John, Dominic Smith, wow, is hitting way better than I could have ever imagined. Yeah, he's like, good. Honestly. 
Uh, one Ligaris is still there. He still doesn't know how to hit. Um, some guy named JD Davis is competent, I suppose. Also decent. Um, yeah. A Denny Hedgevaria. Um, wow. Um, Keon Broxton. No. Uh, they have manager and pitchers who yell at the press when they give them jokes. Yeah, that. Okay. Uh-huh. I I I have no idea how I we forgot to talk about that at all. But the the Jason Vargas. Uh... That was unacceptable. <laughs> it's hilarious to read about and you just ask yourself how does this happen in in a major league organization I mean, it's they're a bunch of losers <laughs> figuratively wait and... wait way to take them down a peg you tell uh, them i mean this this team I, I mean i don't think they're good necessarily but do you think let me ask you this from a don't you think if you put this roster and it was in Tampa, it would be in the wild card hunt at least. Well, that's, I have no idea how to respond to that because, like, if this team was run by the, a competent organization, things would this, be so different. Like, it's it's hard to say. The Mets have got some good players, some very good players. And some very bad players. And some very means? bad players. That's fair. It's, man, I Pete Alonso, Degrom, like who doesn't love? Swelled. Who doesn't love these guys? Who? What? Yes. I All mean, right. Well, let me <laughs> ask you this. Well, let me say one more ranty thing. You could argue no that with if they had a competent bullpen, they would be in the playoff hunt pretty much, right? Don't they have like twenty six blown saves? Oh yeah, them like and the Red Sox. You know, this is. Every Yankees fan's dream is for the 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 Mets and Red Sox to invest a lot and have their bl- their bullpen just blow it all up for them. Uh, you know, from a bias perspective, awesome. From a baseball perspective, you're like, what is happening? How can a major league bullpen be that bad? And you know, then then you have it, and then you have the Orioles who are you know, remind us all just what truly awful baseball is so we still have that it's intentionally bad though you're right you're right orange teams this year man like seriously bad baseball from all the orange teams the giants are atrocious this year um but somehow like are not as atrocious as they could have been i don't know that's like the nicest thing i can say about them um and then you've got the mets and then the orioles and that's all the orange teams so good job orange teams keep sucking all right we're gonna wrap up this podcast thank you everybody for joining us on this one we'll get back to the regular um schedule which we haven't had the entire season i understand but they will be more or less back on the weekly format so make sure you rate comment and subscribe to the podcast if you'd like to hear more and let us know what you think and uh you can talk to us during the week and we post other great baseball stuff as well on twitter facebook and instagram at beat the shift bp so make sure you follow us there website is beat the shift baseball.com so yeah that is going to do it for today thank you everybody one last time as always rude peace